0: Hello, listener. Welcome once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is Chris. This week, along with Brian and Eric, the Magnificently Huge team is all here to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Ron Howard. In uh, episode uh, 400, uh, we'll say 477, in a uh, two-part retrospective uh, dedicated to uh, Opie Cunningham's filmic output as a director. Many of you may not realize that uh, Ron Howard's been directing movies for about 40 years now. Uh, and they are all equally uh, forgettable in one form or fashion. Uh, at least that's our thesis this week. Uh, he's just—he's he's baffling, Ron Howard, uh, as a filmmaker. Uh, that's what we're going to try to uh, dissect uh, in this discussion. Because uh, think about it. Uh, when was the last time you walked out of a movie and said, I feel like I just saw a Ron Howard movie. Uh, and the answer is never. You've never had that happen uh, because it's just not possible. Um, he just, he has no voice. And that's what's utterly baffling, considering that he is, he's won an Oscar. Uh, let's just put that on the table right now. Uh, granted, it took him uh, about 20 years to do, uh, but he's got one which is one more than uh, a crap ton of other uh, distinguished filmmakers in history. Uh, so he's got that going for him. Uh, but the man has no discernible voice, and it's just utterly uh, astonishing, uh, this fact. Uh, he's very chameleon-like in his uh, filmic output. He's a, he's a genre filmmaker, if you will. He's very workmanlike. He's very competent. But at the end of the day, uh, there is nothing that we can point to that says this is a Ron Howard movie. Uh, nothing so uh, that's kind of where we uh, jump off from. It's uh, really a, a, an in-depth look at the nicest man in Hollywood by all accounts uh, but we still crap all over his filmic legacy uh, because this is after all uh, magnificently huge and that's what we do. So uh, kick back, join us uh, for a little little ditty we like to call uh, Ron Howard the aggressive banality of American cinema. Enjoy. Alright. Alright. Uh, so presumably we've had an intro, uh,
1: and here we are. So, uh... Ron Howard! (laughs) (laughs) The Sweetheart of America! Uh... So... He's Uh, our most talented filmmaker! (laughs) a little background on
0: this is this came up because uh in the initial stupid podcast that uh, eric and i did uh which seems like years ago uh we were discussing star wars and somehow we inadvertently got onto the topic of what if ron howard directed a star wars movie uh and then we just proceeded to shit all over that notion uh and then weeks later lo and behold uh Ron Howard gets handed the Han Solo uh movie that's going yeah. on. And it's like all those head.
1: people who said, watch Donald Trump will win.
0: Ha 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 does, yeah. And that kind of that kind of set it up. So that's the premise of the episode. But I think in keeping with uh whatever ridiculous format we've got, knowing that that's coming, uh why don't we go over uh what everybody's been watching uh, this past week, if anything that they'd like to share with the class,
1: I I I had to. I f- I feel like such a dumb shit, but it was free, so I don't feel too bad. I watched Star Trek Beyond because we were. I, I re-listened to the Star Trek episode, and I thought, uh, let's give it a shot. Let's 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 you, see you how bad it can yep. get. No, and it's so much worse than I would have thought. I, I I I thought I'd seen bad until uh, bad guys were. Destroyed by the Beastie Boys. That that was the low. Oh, okay. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And then I realized
0: that yeah, I have seen that one. Ah, uh, yeah. That was a, that was a supreme disappointment. But that's what happens when you get the Fast and the Furious director uh, to do a Star Trek movie uh, based I, on a
2: JJ Abrams treatment. I still say it's better than the one that preceded it. Like that Into Darkness movie was just the fucking worst.
1: Yeah. Uh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would I would say that of the th- of the th- the new ones, uh, Beyond has more in common with something like uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, than any of the rest. I mean, it was yeah, it was just a huge and that. In that, it's just
2: uninspired and and uh, an extended episode of the show. Yeah, and yeah. I was so
0: mad because Simon Pegg wrote that one.
1: I'm like, oh, I expected so much from you. But they're all kind of crap. I mean, even even the the, the first one, where they, they, they could have done anything they wanted, it was like, oh yeah, I remember that part from the movies and or TV show. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a callback to the TV. Yeah, I remember that vaguely, yes. And it didn't, <laughs> none of it mattered. Yeah. No, none of it. So, alright. Alright. Well, sorry
0: that you were disappointed and uh, wasted your time.
1: Hey, listen, all y'all,
0: It's
2: a sabotage. Oh, wait. I have to to say something about the end of that fucking movie. because, Like, all right. They're trying to... I can't even quite remember. They're, like, in the really, really cool designed space city, right? Yeah, Yorktown. Yeah. Yeah, and and at the very end, the whole deal is about trying to get, I don't know, something into another place. There's two characters, and they have to be in, like, the... The ventilation system or some bullshit. Right. Yeah. And they were air at surfing. this point, everyone forgets that transporters exist. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> like, well, why can't we just put shit where it's supposed to be or we don't want it to be with a transporter and mm-hmm. end a movie? We're done.
1: Yeah. Oh, thanks. Now now I'm really ruined on it. Fuck. How, how come the bad guy spaceship was able to get into the thing while. Uh, You know, Space Station K-Rock was blasting out the B-Boys, like, in all directions. I think they all should have blown up, no? (laughs) K-Rock. Who cares, really? Exactly, exactly. I I think that's really what it boils down to. I'd rather hear what you guys watched, because it has to have been better.
0: Uh, I've had a lot of time off the last, like, ten days. Uh, So I've been watching a lot of stuff. uh, Because books are for suckers. And, uh... (laughs) So I've been watching a crap ton of uh, Rick and Morty, uh, which I had never uh, had an opportunity to really get into before because of other stuff, uh, and that is one funny ass show.
2: I haven't uh, done like, it myself. Yeah.
0: Oh there- my god! There's there's so much uh, like weird existential dread uh, rolled into the festivities <laughs> that it's just it's it's. i'm just floored by it every time every episode i watch because it's like these wacky adventures and then the majority of them wind up with one of the characters just with this blank look of horror on their face as they realize that (laughs) there are implications beyond the now that uh entail uh, (laughs) the adventure i was like this is what the fuck and i know and it's dan Harmon, eric which i know you've got like a oh yeah uh, a laugh a laugh boner for yeah uh and uh it's, it's definitely worth, worth the time and effort to, to check out because it's, yeah, it's good. I
2: just kind of assumed that it was like a lot of modern animated stuff, which is really aimed at an audience that's stoned, and I haven't been stoned for like years, and so no, I
1: didn't this, see It's smarter there. than that. It's smarter than, this, than that. Yeah.
0: yeah, this one, it, it's like everybody touts it as it's somehow aimed at millennials, but it's, it's square at, at Gen X.
1: I mean,
0: it's just damn yeah, I mean,
2: Now I might have to watch the fucking thing.
0: Yeah, it's what are you watching? Awesome.
2: Is it on Hulu or what's it on? Uh, you can, yeah, you can catch the whole thing on Hulu because I
1: don't have um, Hulu. Once you've watched a little bit of it, and, and, and Chris, I think you, you definitely check this out after we're done here. Uh, look up state of Georgia versus Denver Felton Allen or now just that I've Rick seen. and. Or just Rick and Morty trial transcript. They did a uh they did like a a, a, a an animation, not a full colored one, but like just the the pre animation with Rick and Morty playing the parts of the judge and the guy on trial. <laughs> and they read the transcript from this trial and it's so fucking funny. Alright. All right. I can't I can't do it justice. I'm not even gonna try, but no. Yeah. No, and you have to watch
2: the whole thing because yeah. it, it does escalate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's good.
0: That's good. So yeah, so I'm a I'm a new convert. Uh so now every night I'm getting swifty uh watching it. And I also will note that I've since I've been watching a lot of the uh the shit that they're rolling for the holiday weekend. Like all these m- movie marathons and whatnot, uh I came across two weird uh sort of correlative things, uh like two Two movies that are uh, way more alike than I really ever thought about before. Um, because I've just seen seen both of them pretty close to each other. Uh, so the first bit, and it's not that surprising, but uh, I rewatched Stripes, had come on yesterday. And okay. then I'm watching it, and I'm, and I'm like, this is the exact same plot structure, uh, screenplay structure, etc., as a Full Metal Jacket. So it's basically as if Full Metal Jacket were done <laughs> as a Bill Murray
2: comedy. <laughs> so what you is Full Metal Jacket is the gritty reboot of Stripes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because you've got, <laughs> cause you've
2: got the training montage and all of the boot
0: camp stuff, and then they do their wacky adventure in oh, the field. Oh, it's true. I was like, holy shit. I'm like, how have I never seen this before? You fucker. So that was that yeah. kind of blew my mind. And then the <laughs> one that that really fucked my shit up uh, is that they're doing, they were doing a bunch of Planet of the Apes uh, stuff on one of the channels. Uh, like the 60s, 70s one.
2: Planet of the Apes?
0: Yeah, I mean, they started with Charlton Heston, and, and then okay. just, and did, uh, like, the the sequence. And by the time they got to, I think it's the third one, uh, I don't remember the, the order, but it was a Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and it's the one where they set it uh, before the apes ruled the Earth, and they were, like, the the, the slaves of mankind, uh, and Caesar lead, leads the revolt, so it's the one that all the new ones are based on. mm mm-hmm. uh, so i'm watching this thing and then it's watching all of like caesar lead all the apes and their plans like where they're acquiring the the weapons and equipment and planning the revolt and whatnot and then it just struck me i'm like holy shit this is like if fight club were a planet of the apes movie (laughs) and and my mind just exploded like this is exactly what the the whole fight club thing is all about he's got his militia they're gonna go after the man i was like what the hell is going on (laughs) so that was like my independence day weekend
2: Everything's a mashup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am so Caesar's revolt against the humans. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's a good time. <laughs>
2: so, so there you go. um, mine is, I just watched the most recent season of House of Cards on Netflix. And I was really not sure I gave a shit about House of Cards after the election because, it, I mean, the whole show is about, have either of you watched it? i've seen it all yeah eric is a yes and chris is a no correct all right it's like the whole show is just about how big of a bastard can this guy be to to gain power and it's almost we've reached a point where reality has outstripped our you know our metaphor our dramatic parody of you know There was a, I don't even remember where I read it, but there was a a hypothesis out there that said that um, the thing that Trump has brought to political discourse is that he deliberately offends people to drag everyone into the conversation in a way that no one else doesn't. And and the character in House of Cards stops short of that. So we now have a real-life president who is being more cynical than the character in House of Cards. and. (laughs) I'm not sure what to make of that, but but yeah. as it turned out, I mean, it, it did provide some meta-commentary on the 2016 election that I didn't think they had production time to accomplish, so good on them for that, um, and it's still a good show, and, you, and if you've been watching the whole thing, you can watch, it's really Robin Wright's gradual takeover of the show, um, and by the end, she's pretty much completely taken it over including being the director
0: so how much uh, how much like West Wing is it?
2: Uh, I have never Not watched really. West Wing but I can't imagine it's anything like the West Wing
1: <laughs> yeah it doesn't have that, that pop, that panache, I mean the one thing I like about that show is the way he breaks the fourth wall to talk to the viewer that can get creepy mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing beats that first season. I mean, that first season was so just awesome, and it, it it just yeah glided. And everything since then has been how how can we be crazier? How can we go even nuttier? And and I think honestly, the thing with Trump that has helped that show is that they no longer need to worry about a suspension of disbelief. There is, is, there is nothing left that can actually happen that, that, that uh, fiction can outdo.
2: Yeah, I think the first two seasons were really the, the primo version of that show, and I just love there's a character who is um, Kevin Spacey's most trusted advisor. His name is Doug, and it's played by this guy who really only has one facial expression, But it's amazing how many different emotions that one facial expression can communicate. (laughs) Because he's like this most... He is just the most soulless motherfucker on the planet. And he gets screwed so hard so often. So you can see him being both cold and utterly in pain. And it's all just the same expression. The guy is awesome. (laughs) Hey, that sounds an awful lot like Rick and Morty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just... Uh, full circle. Boom. So so here's, so now we talk about what people paid all their money for. That's right, butts and seats time. What's wrong with Ron Howard? Ah uh... I'm going to say lack of talent, and here's why. Uh, he, he directs nothing but tr- garbage, and he's only actually written two of the films he's made first one was Grand Theft Auto, which was a Roger Corman movie, so he kind of had to write his own movie, because Roger Corman wasn't going to spend money to, you know, for somebody to write yeah. it.
0: And the other which one I have was, not seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I just saw the box of it and I thought, oh, who cares? And of course by the time the video game came out, I was like well, I'd like to see the, the comparison of the two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's That's a whole other movie with the uh, dead hookers and such.
1: Yeah, an interesting so. one, I think. Uh, But the other one was Far and Away which you oh, know shut I, up he did not write that he wrote that he's the screenwriter on that and fuck off that that shows hate- that shows an amateur <laughs> you don't call a movie far and away and then you know expect critics not to go it was far and away the most boring movie i've ever seen far and away the biggest pile of shit i've ever had to jam my face into
0: you know hey say what you will about that movie but my god as much as tom
1: cruise cannot do an irish accent he just so <laughs> hard (laughs) (laughs) oh god i think the funniest thing about that movie is watching the two of them and going oh yeah that's right she's the actress in the family (laughs) because she's actually good in just about everything she does but Uh, she's up against this you know this this short guy who needs to yell at things uh, I, i view ron howard okay so
2: there's there's the mojo nixon song elvis is everywhere and at one point he has a little bit about how there's one person on Earth who has absolutely no Elvis in him, and he says, Michael J. Fox is the anti-Elvis. Um, I think of Ron Howard in the same terms. He is the anti-Fonzie. He has no Fonzie yeah. in him.
0: Well, well, and that's why when he did uh, Night Shift, he actually cast Henry Winkler, and then he made him like as opposite of Fonzie as you could possibly get. Like just yeah. a, a total schleppy <laughs> n- knucklehead just doofus and i think it were, that was like their statement movie it's like well we're we're now
2: branching away from uh happy days at this stage mm. and here right, we go but if you're, i mean if you look at everything ron howard has done as an actor everything he does is sort of like safe non-threatening white bread boring you know just just it's it's interesting to me that his directorial voice is more or less the same.
1: There's, there's uh, he, nothing well, challenging
2: I, about the man.
0: Well, I think the consensus is, is that there's no, there's no there there. He does so much genre hopping, uh, I think he spends more time trying to just create whatever the genre dictates it should be. Yeah. And he never really infuses it with anything other than that. So you can watch any Ron Howard movie, and then you walk away going, well, where was the Ron Howard? And I think, to, yeah. to me, it's the, the the through line for the whole career that he's got, at least as a filmmaker, is that he's so aggressively banal that I don't understand what the fuck he's trying to, to do as, as a message. And it's like, this is a movie, but what's your movie? Yeah. Well, it's like X. Any Ron Howard movie you ever watch, it's always, this is like X. And that's all you can say about it. <laughs> and that's what's so irritating. It's like where how, how do you how do you make these movies that make all of this money and then like 5 years later people go, "Well, I kind of remember it, but eh,
2: I don't know." Yeah. So he's like an early Brett Ratner. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's yeah, there's there's a whole crew of uh,
0: directors that you could lump in, but I think Ron Howard is probably uh, like the Yoda of the group. That does
1: like, <laughs> see the thing. Like- I, the thing with him is that, in a way, here's okay. Here's here's a thought. He's he's the um, the sort of uh, blockbuster level version of Tarantino, in that he riffs on everyone else and somehow manages to call it his own. Like uh, Apollo 13 was him being Philip Kaufman, Backdraft was him being Scorsese, Uh, Grinch Who Stole Christmas was him being Tim Burton. Like every one of his films, Uh, Cocoon was his Spielberg. You can you can see (laughs) who he's trying to be, and it's like it's almost a flawless mimic. Yeah, but here's the thing with Cocoon. This is what
0: I love about Cocoon because I had not seen it for like 20 years. I think I saw it on HBO. One time uh like the last time I saw it so I, I I just know Gutenberg's in it uh Tawny Welch and then a cast of hundreds Wilford Brimley's star turn <laughs> yeah and so when you when you watch it though but <laughs> uh, so when you watch it though it was <laughs> we made Wilford Brimley <laughs> no he was in the natural before that, wasn't he
1: oh he was he was he was in uh yeah uh oh fuck. Well, he, was um, he was in the thing. He was in the thing. Yes, the thing. Thank you. The thing of anything. Yeah. And
0: then he was okay. in uh, Remo Williams. But that's that's a whole other podcast, Wilford Brimley. Um, so Cocoon was it on. Is? I...
1: Good. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so
0: so Cocoon was on one night and. Uh, and i had seen it was on i'm like well I don't, I don't remember anything about this movie so i flipped over and it was like uh i don't know like the last 20 minutes and to set the scene that's like the the climax where steve gutenberg as the little boat captain uh is ferrying all these old people out into the middle of the uh Ocean off the Florida coast for the aliens to come down and suck them all up to their home planet, uh, so that they can move on with their lives. So that's if you if you're watching the whole movie, that's pretty much the climax. But if you've never seen Cocoon, it struck me that if you come in in the last 20 minutes, basically, (laughs) it looks like a guy that's gonna uh, about
1: to die. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, it's basically he's, he's kidnapping a bunch of old people, and he's gonna kill them all and dump them into the ocean. That's the end of Cocoon. And so, for, if you've never seen it before, you'd be like, "What? What's going? Ooh, what's going on?" And then the aliens show yeah. up, and then it's and then it's
1: Close Encounters, and you're like, "Fuck yeah. you!" And then you so. cut to Gutenberg in a police station, going, and then aliens took them away. <laughs> really <laughs> no really seriously <laughs> seriously dude yeah
2: oh. <laughs> so that's my Not cocoon story spielberg esque i mean it was it was literally a riff on the twilight zone segment the twilight zone movie segment spielberg directed the kick the can with scatman Crothers, yeah in a way yeah
0: well, I think the whole, like all of them are just uh like I say aggressively vinel. Like I found uh, this this sums it up greatly for me. Like Ron Howard's just whole oov. Uh but I, I found a review of Willow uh by Roger Ebert and the line that stands out is that it's turgid and relentlessly predictable. <laughs> that was the- <laughs> And so that was the uh the line That's for good. that. And 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 I I don't know. I used to like Willow. Kind of, uh, but I rewatched it again the other night, and it's just, and even Nancy, who we watched, we've seen it a couple times, and we always make fun of it, you know, with the Willow and the whole nine yeah. yards, and even she's like, like watching this thing and just heckling it out, going, "Well, why is this going? Why is this going on? And why is that?" We're like, oh,
1: yeah. So I look back on that, and I remember everyone being into Willow at the time, and looking at the time, it's like, okay, there wasn't really. There was Star Wars, and then there was a lot of stuff that wasn't Star Wars. And this was, like, as close to George Lucas as we could get. And so he made a George Lucas film. Well, George Lucas
0: wrote it and produced
2: it, so, yeah.
1: Right, right. I think that's where he learned, I gotta do other people's shit. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I want to know, what dirt does Warwick Davis have on George Lucas? How the fuck (laughs) does this keep happening? Well, you know, maybe uh,
0: liked him in that little Ewok suit and took him out back for a little bit of a... coaching if you know what I
2: mean like Warwick Davis is a genius at getting cast in George Lucas or Lucasfilm productions at least it's like he's a good luck charm or he's got blackmail well if you've ever seen Life's Too Short
0: uh, I would recommend it because he he's pretty good in that Uh, and he pokes a little bit of fun at the whole like Warwick Davis as uh, Willow and and Wicket and the whole thing. Uh, so basically, he's just—it's a Ricky Gervais show, but so he's essentially doing a short person version of uh, David Brent from The Office. Mm-hmm. Um, but it—it it pretty much is just—he's he, relentlessly devoted to that character as like, look at me, I'm a fucking douchebag, but I was in Star Wars, so that's the—that's the show.
1: You, so can you can you think of which Ron Howard film is his Richard Donner film? His Richard Donner. Uh, yeah. I would probably say that he was going
0: for that with uh the Da Vinci Code. Uh, cuz uh. it's you know like like it's
1: like his his thriller as it were. Yeah. Uh I was going to say I was going to say Ransom. I thought Ransom was like up and down Richard Donner.
0: Yeah, I would go that to you. Um I've got a few gaps in my uh Ron Howard uh viewing. Like I think the last one I saw in the theater was Apollo 13. Uh, and then I did see Da Vinci Code when it came out because I was working a bookstore, and everybody went apeshit for the book. And it's fucking unreadable. And so I was curious as to how Ron Howard, the king of the banal, would film
2: an entirely unreadable uh, book. <laughs> and right. uh, who did um, who did Grand Canyon? I'm, I'm trying. Is it was it? Um, that was Cas. That Lawrence- was Cas- Lawrence Yeah, Lawrence Kasdan. Okay, so Parenthood is his Kasdan riff.
1: Yeah, I buy
2: yeah.
0: that. Well, it's also kind of a riff on uh, the late 80s Woody Allen stuff, uh, without any of the funny. Um, Yeah. Because you got, like, Hannah and her sisters and that kind of stuff. So when I see Parenthood, that's sort of what I think of, because that was the sort of stuff that Woody Allen was doing right then.
1: And the one thing you can give Lawrence Kasdan is he always gets tone correctly, and Parenthood has got the most uneven tone. You don't know if you're watching a comedy or a drama or... What? But it's it. like I liked. That we're gonna let, we're gonna let the ensemble cast kind of drive this thing. I didn't. I thought it was torture. Actually, like a lot. I like. I, I like. Don't love a lot of this Ron Howard stuff up until
2: Far and Away, and then Apollo 13, and that's about it.
1: Uh, well, Give, me back just- my son. <laughs> Give me back my son! <laughs> Give me back my son! Give me back my son!
0: <laughs> uh well let's not forget uh gung ho while we're in the mix, okay, which is gung like ho. a which is a superly racially insensitive uh hey, let's laugh at the Asians kind of thing. Um, right. and that was that was when he was uh right bef- right when he was using either Tom Hanks or Michael Keaton as his leading man. Because uh, I think they flip flop a couple of those. I think we can throw in Gutenberg and Cocoon as sort of the stand-in for that uh, sort of white bread leading actor kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's
1: that sounds like an uh, uh, that sounds like an agent package. He didn't want yeah. Gutenberg, but he had to take Gutenberg. Yeah. Um, but Gung Ho is just awful. Uh,
0: yeah. And deserves to be forgotten. But Backdraft is the one where.
1: I think that was the one I where... I never <laughs> stop laughing at you. Because that was the one where we all... I was th- in there, Stephen. I was in there drinking it! <laughs> you
2: dribbled the glass, probing Ron Howard backwash. backwash.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: but I think I saw that one with, uh, with Joe Rice and I, th- I I think this may be misremembered, but this was became the big joke, but at some point, uh, midway through the movie, he leaned over and just said, "I was there from the French
1: montage." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we awesome. were watching it, and yeah, he, he just said it. He said it like the most conversational end from the French montage, montage, because yet again we've got a montage <laughs> sequence, and you and I are sitting on either side of him, and we both just go, and and Joe of course looks at us like, yeah, that was that wasn't that funny. I I, I come up with gems like that all the time. Yeah. But, uh,
0: but again, this is, it, Backdraft supposedly made a decent amount of money and it was sort of uh, one of the few non-sequels from that summer in 91. Uh, yeah. But I don't remember a fucking thing about it. Not, a, not oh, God. a thing. So
2: I saw so much of the beginning and end of Backdraft because I, at the time I was managing movie theaters and we had just opened a theater on the pier in Huntington Beach and it was opening weekend was when backdraft opened, and we fucking. Saw, I. oh God, I saw so much fucking backdraft. <laughs> um, you dribbled the glass, the thing, Proby. Yep. The thing, the one that got me in that movie was they had Donald Sutherland, and they were trying to do a take on Hannibal Lecter with him. Yeah. yeah. Everybody like, was at he that was time. The fire whisperer guy, right? Yeah. And it just, I. I couldn't make heads or tails of that character really because it was like, do we want him to be menacing? Or <laughs> do we want him to be helpful? We, it was all over the fucking place. Yeah, it was awful, and it was like uh, De Niro
0: just doing basically doing a paycheck roll. I mean, it was like he was yeah. he was sleepwalking oh, through it, and, and he that's and right. like he was in it. Yeah, and he like doing the squinty smoking thing, and like, oh come on,
1: man! And then he sort of there's a part in that movie where uh, like at the end when. uh, one of the baldwins that isn't Alec, says to uh the bad guy the the quippy line of gotcha, whatever that quippy line is. And they cut to I, I. All I remember is the cut to Robert De Niro doing the Robert De Niro smile. You know that smiley always <laughs> the, eh, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And and you know Ron Howard just said, "Can I just Can I just get you to do that 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 smile thing that you do? I just need I just need to insert it right." Oh fuck it, sure. Here you go. Hey. Well, I think and what it, you, is, what it you, is so ham handed. <laughs> well,
0: but you've you've got the uh, the Trash Baldwin in it though, so that's why everything is sort of tainted. Uh, and becomes forgettable. I think he made Sliver uh like the year after uh, and then we never heard from him again because they were like they were grooming him, they were
1: grooming him and then he just fell off the face of the earth. He made the uh the Joel Silver actioner with uh what's her name the 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 super, Cindy Crawfish, uh did did like one movie that oh. was a a Oh, what the hell was that oh. thing called? Uh yeah. fair, fair Game. Ooh. Yeah, I can see the poster, <laughs> right? Oh god. <laughs> We've got to get fucking loaded and watch <laughs> that and make a drinking game out of that. Uh, every time every time we we laugh at Cindy Crawford's inability, we we get okay, not another <laughs> another drink. Oh god. The the missing, I did not see, but I saw enough of it to know that it's his uh Clint Eastwood. No, I look at the at the ads and I'm like, "Oh, he's trying to be John Ford." Nice, you asshole. Mm. But um, well, Clint Eastwood's trying to be John Ford, so I, I, I guess I, I figure he's—it's it, that sort of grandparenting, like, like kind of.
0: Yeah, two, like two removed, but yeah, that one looked uh, pretty fucking awful. Uh, so that's his western. Um, I also want to talk about the paper. That's the one that I—I uh, I literally I saw that in the theater, and I to this day uh, I can't recall anything about it <laughs> at all. Uh, So I wanted to know if either of you knew anything about this movie, like remember anything.
1: No. Uh, I know two things about it. It's the third Michael Keaton movie, you know that he, he where he, he roped him into something, right? And it only it moved when I was working at the video store. It moved a lot because there was nothing else out. <laughs> well, it was like everybody rented it because there was nothing else interesting that week. And in the '90s, when people were going to video stores, they didn't care what they got as long as they got something. They just needed something new. That's they true. They didn't want to watch anything they'd seen before, even if they liked it. Just got to be new. Well, and so they everyone was renting the paper and. That's all I know. So I have a hypothesis about why that happens, though it's not—it's
2: not so much that they wanted something new. It's that you walk—you walked into a blockbuster or Hollywood video or whatever—and you're just overwhelmed by choice. There's like so much stuff assaulting your eyes that you—you—you you, you can't possibly choose anything, and so you end up going to the new releases section just because at least that's—you uh, know—your choices are are kind of they seem smaller. Uh, you know, there's a wall of the same thing, so it's more present in your eye line. Uh it's either that or like the employee pick section. Everything else doesn't exist in the video store. Well, I was yeah. I was happy enough to work with a
0: a manager at Blockbuster that uh would take suggestions, just you know, knock-ups, because that was back when we would have to order the the movies direct. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they would come in. And this is still when videotapes were like 80 bucks a pop or something stupid. Um, But we get the price break because you're a blockbuster. So you'd have like the wall of Far and Away or whatever. Uh, But I talked her into getting a copy of The Dark Backward. And... (laughs) <laughs> uh, and she's like, Are you sure? I'm like, Oh, yeah. I'm like, It's edgy. It's, it's weird. Add the dark backward to the audience. Yeah. Right. Uh, so Judd Nelson uh, and Bill Paxton are trash workers. Uh, and we'll get to Bill Paxton in a second. Uh, Judd Nelson is a stand up comedian who has no sense of humor and no charisma whatsoever. Uh, and he's really sweaty and greasy all the time. Uh, and then at some point through. I don't, they never really explain why, but he starts growing a hand out of his back until it becomes like an entire arm. So then people come to see him because he's a, <laughs> like it's a freak show, not because he's funny, but he's still doing really awful stand up. Uh, and then I don't know how, I don't really remember much from there.
2: I, I just, remember the shot of, of Judd Nelson, like he's doing the stand up, no one's laughing, he's kind of hunched over, and then he turns, it turns so done, he turned, yeah, it turns, yeah, turns around just, to show the hand. Yeah yeah and then it was like I remember
0: the drummer would be like doing some uh like beat um and Bill Paxton committed to his role, and it was like the most disgusting uh character you will ever see anybody play. Like he's a garbage worker, like licking dead naked women, uh, and just eating no eating stuff out of the out of the dump. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so, needless to say, I I talked my manager into getting that copy for the store, and I think it rented twice. Uh, and eventually, I got to bu- I got to buy it at discount, and uh, it became part of my collection. <laughs>
2: Uh, that was uh, like the um, oh, I've seen David Lynch, so let me see if I can do something fucked up. Yeah, so phase of
1: ninety, and he would sense. go on to make uh, uh, a wedding in v- Vegas, wedding or wedding Vegas, Vegas, Vegas wedding. Thing with 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 Vegas with, wedding crashers, hangover. The thing with uh, uh what's his, uh, uh, no, uh uh with Nick, Nick Cage and uh, uh SJP and uh. Leaving, leaving Las Vegas. Honeymoon, honeymoon in Vegas. Oh, leaving Las Vegas honeymoon. Whatever, yeah, <laughs> whatever it was with the other Nick yeah. Cage Vegas movie yeah.
0: with James gone! That was an awful one. It was too. also in the dark backward. Yeah. So that's the that's the sidebar. You brought up the the video store memories. Um, hooray, hooray. <laughs>
2: um, but, Boy, what would Ron Howard's version of the dark backward be? Uh, it would... Boring! <laughs> yeah, that would be, <laughs> it would be... It would be
0: a Horatio Alger story uh, of a young man who grew an arm at his back and became Ooh. senator.
1: Okay, oh, okay, good. No, that's a great segue uh, for A Beautiful Mind. This is... Oh, uh, fuck. I've got to find the article for this that we'll put onto the website if we ever, like, make web make one. blog posts to go with these things. Um, okay, so, Ron Howard heard about this guy who had these mental issues and, you know, crazy guy, and uh, got on some medication and turned his life around, got married, got a job as a professor, said, I'm going to make a movie of your life, said, great. They start, like, you know, working on developing the movie. In the meantime, the guy goes off his meds, loses his mind, (laughs) kills his family, goes to, you know, goes to jail, and then he says, ah... we go, we, and then he go, he's like, well, that's not the movie I wanted to make. And so he goes and finds some other guy who was crazy, who went on medication, and then, you know, kind of stayed on medication, and turned his life around. It's like, the first thing I thought was, that first guy, that's the interesting movie. But here's the thing.
0: I've, I read somewhere that in A Beautiful Mind, they totally erased yeah. any notion yeah, he they was like, whitewashing yeah he was like
1: a total removed all the racism yeah, yeah. and the homosexuality yeah, like, and yeah like
0: all the stuff that would make it an actually an interesting movie almost like a, a merchant right. ivory production uh, and he could have put that little yeah. feather in his cap but no but he still And I think
1: that's really the the insulting thing about that movie anyone who's who, who at the time I was out who would try and tell me something about how it's uplifting or any horseshit like that it's like no 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 Ron Howard Wanted to make an uplifting film, he unfortunately experienced what reality is, which is shit and death. And he said, "I'm not interested in reality. I want to make an uplifting movie." Maybe. So if you really look at it in its in its whole frame, it really means life is shit. Life continues to be shit, and you have to work really hard to fool people into thinking it isn't. Well, here's what I dug up about this thing too. <laughs>
0: Is that that year that it won? Two thousand and one, I guess it was. Uh, the, so
2: it's the one that Ron Howard won the Oscar for. Uh, he, yeah, he and get, I'm still okay. struggling with Ron Howard directed it in the first place. But well, uh, yeah. yeah, okay.
1: Well, yeah, moved. he won. He won that for the same year that the terrorists attacked the towers. Yeah. Well, so. get this though. The, l- listen
0: to this list of directors that he beat, and uh, tell me if you don't want to punch Ron Howard in the face. Uh, after this so he beat out uh, Peter Jackson who was up for Lord of the Rings uh, that first year uh, Woody Allen for whatever Woody Allen had done that year uh, Robert fucking Altman and David Lynch those were the, the nominees for Best Director which David Lynch was that in 2001 ah, that would have been
2: uh, Mulholland Drive I think
0: right is that the name of it
2: uh, yeah Um oh. I can't say that that list makes me want to punch Ron Howard, but I can say it makes me want to punch Ron Howard again. (laughs) (laughs) So he beat that out. But the other thing that I noted
0: too, because I had kind of compiled a list just to kind of keep track of uh, his filmography. Uh, And so (laughs) I had kind of made notes about what his movies were similar to. And my only note for Beautiful Mind is, hey, let's make an Oscar bait biopic. That was pretty much my note. And And then Cinderella Man came uh, a couple years
2: later and that seems like the same thing that's like his rocky yeah all right so can we talk about like his his recent output in the context of he's going to fucking make the blandest star wars movie out
1: of oh god the character that is the least bland and start fuck that's that's the thing that interests me because he's only got like 2 weeks of shooting left yeah. and presumably yeah, it's all in the can unless he, he tells them look those two guys they, they screwed me I, I need another couple of weeks oh, to make my, they'll, they'll my give positive him. vision or whatever
2: yeah they have I mean uh, presumably Alden Ehrenreich has been sucking as Han Solo he's been playing it as comedy and, and, and he's the lead character so you figure they have to do a lot of reshoots
0: well that's the thing is they hired Lord and Miller who basically are known for uh, the Lego movie and the the uh Jump Street movies 22 Jump, Jump Street, Street. Street yeah. which yeah. which basically are just goofy I mean they're okay they're not revelatory uh and they're I guess enjoyable I've never sat through them all the way but it seems like they get enough of the winky winky self-referential stuff to kind of make it work but when I heard that they were doing a Star Wars movie I'm like uh, that that's totally just that's the wrong crew to get for your movie because it's, it's not a winky-winky, hey-hey, waka-waka, uh,
2: you know, wub wub dub dub Like, the movie blogs were all excited. They were all excited about Lord and Miller because they had the reputation of being, we'll make something good out of a shitty idea. I mean, let's, let's not forget that the whole concept of making a young Han Solo movie can only, I mean, it, you're starting in negative numbers, right? Like, this is a bad fucking idea for a movie. For the same reason they shouldn't make a Yoda movie. Or even the Boba Fett movie uh, Okay maybe they can kind of go on a tangent there But like god damn it you know, Rogue One at least was like let's, let's focus on some other characters In this vast universe No no every fucking movie has to be about the same family
1: The same characters Young Han Solo movie nobody I- cares I, I I gotta disagree. I, I on that one. I'm sorry. I got. I guess the thing. The reason I don't get, and you're probably right. It probably is a shitty idea. But the thing is, when I hear Han Solo film, Han Solo solo film, I, uh-huh. I think that's. <laughs> I think that's such a great opportunity for a, a, a film uh, a, a, in an it's y universe where the main character is a heel and a coward. I love that idea that it's like somebody who's a creep, and he he kind of maintains being a creep right up until we meet him in Star Wars. You know, but yes, but I, at the same having just said idea. all that aloud, uh, having said all that out loud though, I know that they never would have made that film. You know, they they wanted to you know make a hero film, and um, right, but, yeah, but they hired the, thing, the Lego right? guys. Like, fine,
2: make a fucking Star Wars movie about a scoundrel that has stakes and we don't know where that character ends up. This is the problem with all sort of prequel yeah true. In general, there's just no dramatics. Why one of the reasons Rogue One worked Spoiler alert, they could kill everybody.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and they do. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's my prediction about uh, the Han Solo movie. Thanks for ruining that by the way. <sighs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, who didn't know that that was Guns of Navarone in space? Okay, so just suck it, Eric. There's no spoiler yeah. there. They're gonna die. Oh They, shit. they, they don't survive the from the Guns yet? of
1: Navarone. <laughs> the Guns of Navarone? They all die? Pretty much. I think. How, I think how does the for, war end? Uh, do, do the Nazis win? No,
0: no. And then a couple years later, uh, Clint Eastwood and Donald Sutherland uh, tank in behind enemy lines and steal all the Nazi gold. And then the war's over. Oh, good. So, yeah. Don't worry. But my prediction is that because Ron Howard is so, uh, we'll call it, we'll say chameleon-like to be pleasant about this. Um, (laughs) But I think this is his chance to start sort of siphoning off the lifeblood of his, his own movies. Uh, and start regurgitating uh, his o- his other tropes. And so I think Han Solo, a Star Wars story, uh, as any of his movies uh, that he's done, the closest it's going to come to is Splash. I'm just going to go out on a limb
2: and say that now. But there's your movie. Han Solo, yeah. Splash. Splash. The, the, see, I was actually thinking, he needs to recast Han Solo and, and put Tom Hanks in the role, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be that something? would be about the I, Han Solo movie? I'm expecting Tom Hanks is Han Solo, and that's everything you need to know about this fucking thing.
1: I I finally fell in love, and she's
2: a Wookie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: no, I finally fell in love, and she's young enough to be my granddaughter, which is you know the other more recent Tom Hanks Ron Howard films. Wah uh, wah ah.
0: So yeah, so that one's going to be tough. But I, I was looking at his his filmography. Yeah. So since Da Vinci Code, which is like his big super-kerjillion-dollar-making thing. Uh, I've, I've looked, and none of the movies on the list sound even remotely interesting in any way, shape, or form, because he followed up Da Rush Vinci had Code. a lot of buzz. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I just don't get it. Basically, it's it's his chance to do Le Mans or Grand Prix or even Days of Thunder. That's what it struck oh. me as. Uh, what, Rush? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and not that was not the it, it, not the drug movie, the one about the car drivers. I know that was that that fooled me too. But <laughs> yeah. I remember that preview coming on and going, "Ooh, I would like to see a film that takes place in this era." Nobody covers early seventies realistically, unless it's like you know, like post hippies, or you know, it's it's never that. And then I saw he was directing it, and I go, "Oh no, fuck you, I'm out." Well, I'm and here's that. here's the fun part: it's total domestic gross twenty seven
0: million. Boom! Mm. Uh, so you can't make a racing movie. Racing movies fail. They all fail. Yeah, well, Days of Thunder, man, don't don't knock Days of Thunder.
1: That had cold trickle. Failed. That had cold trickle. <laughs> He's taking the outside lane. <laughs> I know Cole. He always goes to the outside. Uh,
0: <laughs>
2: that always makes me think of Talladega Nights. Yeah, that's a better movie than any Ron Howard film. Yeah,
0: but he followed up Da Vinci Code with Frost Nixon. Which the only, and I haven't seen it, but the only thing interesting about that is that he got Frank Langella to be Nixon. And that is such a yeah. bonkers bit of casting that I can't even imagine what that's like. Because, I mean, this is like... It's... Uh, yeah. So, that's,
1: the thing uh, is, okay, I have aside. seen that.
2: Do what? Yeah. Uh, just real quick. So, when I lived in California, um, one of my daughter's closest friends was, like, Frank Langella's niece. And I'm like, so your uncle was Skeletor? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I
0: would
1: wager that he was better in Masters of the Universe than he was in Frost Nixon. (laughs) But that's just me. God, if he was my grandfather, I would be calling him all the time going, Grandpa, I, I need another phone message. I need something else to put on my phone when people call. Why are you always doing this to me? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Wait, let me record it. (laughs) <laughs> uh um so yeah. No, that's that movie was like yeah, that movie was you know, uh, but but it struck me as it was, Howard, was it was
0: Ron Howard trying to do Oliver Stone because it came on the it, yeah, it came yes. on, it came years after Oliver Stone
1: already did Nixon <laughs> with Anthony yeah. Hopkins yeah and so it was it just, definitely that and it was it was all these these journalists like running around trying to oh, here's what we gotta ask him we, we, we he's only given us five interviews and so we've gotta we gotta fucking nail that son of a bitch we gotta get the questions right and like all this shit it's like you watch it and you know. Why? It's it's overwrought, you know. It's, yeah. it's a lot of back, you know, uh, uh, sort of behind the curtain stuff that you don't care about, and you know, you, it makes you realize I just need to go watch the highlights of the the actual interviews because they're way more interesting. Yeah, it's, it, it just seems like but, a really weird uh, narrative. To, yeah. to push but at the, yeah. at the same time though, at the same time, it's probably his best film because he's got such a great cast and so little for them to do other than talk that they drive it yeah. you know it's like there's not enough for him to fuck up well, and it also has Kevin Bacon, so that
0: adds one more notch in your
1: uh way to link him
0: to deForest Kelly
1: mm-hmm. and I think the other guy that we <laughs> well, I like so much um it'll come to me Michael Sheen. Sam oh, Rock- I like Michael Sheen. Yeah, but Sam, Rock- Sam Rockwell. Yes, it's also, Sam it also Rockwell has Rockwell is the shit.
0: Well, isn't Oliver Platt also in that? Probably. I enjoy his work. So yeah, he's period. So, so there's there's Frost Nixon. So that was the follow up. But that thing grossed uh, 19 million. So you, you kind of you sense a trend. So he goes from 217 million for Da Vinci Code. Everybody loved it to 19 million. Uh, then he followed up with Angels and Demons. Uh, the sequel, prequel, whatever, to Da Vinci Code. And that thing made a crap ton of money. We don't even really need to talk to it. It's just a a shitty sequel. Well, he followed that up with uh, this... And I forgot this thing existed. But it's called The Dilemma. And it's got Vince Vaughn and Kevin James. And Winona Ryder and Jennifer Connelly. And I have no idea what this thing is about. I don't even want to read the synopsis because it would just make me know... Uh, but
1: I don't think anybody remembers this thing. But this this came out around the time. While at a botanical garden's planning a way to propose marriage to Beth, <laughs> Ronnie sees Geneva kissing you a man dick. named Zip. He comes home upset. I I don't. I'm trying to get it from the Wikipedia page, and I don't know what it's fucking. All right. Basically, it's what I have.
0: Longtime friends Ronnie and Nick are partners in an auto design firm. They are hard at work on a presentation for a dream project that would launch their company. Then Ronnie spots Nick's wife out with another man, and in the process of investigating the possible affair, he learns that Nick has a few secrets of his own. As the presentation nears, Ronnie agonizes over what might happen if the truce gets out. Hilarity ensues. So and I it didn't make back its budget. Uh, I think it made, like, f- less than $50 million. So
1: who knows? It says here... Uh, budget 70 million box office 69.7 million. Yeah. So then that's followed followed by Rush which made
0: 27 million. So you can kind of see what's going on here. In the Heart of the Sea. Yeah. The the Moby Dick thing uh was oh that was Ron Howard? Yeah. Yeah. Uh and my and my similar to line on this one uh is fuck who cares smells like another failed attempt at Oscar. Uh, well, I mean no. So
2: who directed The Perfect Storm? So uh, no, that's
0: a that's a what's his name? The German guy, the, the German guy das who Boot. did Das Boot, uh, okay, and, and Neverending Story. Like this is the this is the stupid thing about getting older. Is like I can name every single fucking movie <laughs> he's ever directed,
1: but I can't tell you his name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know where the uh, wires are crossed, but I go, oh, yeah, he did this. I know. This. Oh. The only German name I can think of right now is Werner Klemper, and yeah. I know he didn't direct yeah. anything. And it's not Roland Emmerich. Uh, it's,
0: no. it's the other guy. Uh, Wolfgang, no, Peterson. Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang yes. Peterson. Fuck. Yep. Uh, so he did In Heart. It's excusable. <laughs> He's forgettable, too. Wolfgang Peterson? Yeah. I think apart from Das Boot. Uh, yeah. Although he did Enemy Mine. Yeah. Enemy Mine's kind of a a weird uh
1: uh thing. Good st- great short story, shit movie. Yeah. Uh but uh let's see, what was the one with all of the prepositional phrases with in, uh Clint Eastwood in, as the in, Secret it, Service guy? In the line of fire. Uh yeah. and then he did what, Air Force
2: One Yeah. uh and it, didn't okay, he do so they, did, did Enemy he, Mine, I I can't get over the fact that the makeup for Lewis Gossett Jr. in that movie is indistinguishable in my mind. From the alien in the last Starfighter.
0: (laughs) It's true, Greg.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's (laughs) it's
2: the same makeup, I swear. Yeah.
0: Well, at at some point, doesn't Dennis Quaid go? We need you to fight Zor and the Codan Armada. I think that's in there. That's a movie that just stuck oh. in my brain pan. Sadly, look at us thinking of better movies, huh? Um, so yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, no and so, so then he followed up uh, the Moby Dick thing uh, with the third uh, Da Vinci Code thing right. called Inferno. He's got to
1: have like Dan Brown like chained up in his <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and write me something else, because yeah. it's the only thing that makes any money. Well, this one tanked like a mother. I think this thing made oh. they made like thirty four
0: million. Uh, so you can kind of see the trend so now it's like oh I have a chance to get in bed with a Star Wars movie fuck yes because apart from that I think he did a his recent thing is a documentary on the Beatles uh, yeah. Which is like ooh, groundbreaking, sir! Fucking groundbreaking! Yeah. Tell us more yeah, so that we don't know about the Beatles.
1: Han's and solo perfect Star per- Wars story will gross forty eight million <laughs> with any luck. Yeah. It'll it'll nail that. The thing is, a documentary is perfect for him because it it frees him up to do other people's stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's really not going to have to craft anything. It's you know, hire an editor. Yeah. So there you
0: go, but the thing, but the one that we haven't really touched on uh and it's one that really 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 just uh, the, the the sheer thought of it even having existence makes me uh angry uh is that the the Grinch movie the live action Grinch thing yes, that he l- did. Please talk mm-hmm. about the Grinch movie. With I've never
1: seen it. I've only seen snippets. Um, oh, but you, you can I don't know anyone who's been able to watch the whole thing. I would catch bits of it on cable and just go fuck you. Yeah,
0: I I literally have to retain myself from throwing shit at the TV because uh, I I love and adore Chuck Jones with all of my heart and mm-hmm. uh, and I watch the classic every year and to see what Ron Howard debased that with it just makes me epileptic with with rage. Oh, yeah.
2: oh. I'll, I'll I'll one up you here. So here's the first of all uh that Chuck Jones short is what a half an hour long. Yeah. Um which is all you need. Uh so I have I'm the I'm the only person on this podcast who has children. And I had, you know, kids who for whom that was their entree to the Grinch I don't give a fuck about the I'm I'm like I won't here watch this instead and they're like no no the right one is this one and I'm like I hate
1: everything (laughs) I remember that okay that would came out I think before or after the Mike Myers cat in the hat it came out before no it was before yeah the cat in the hat was actually like let's do that again yeah uh, yeah, there was like a whole period where they were trying to eke cash out of the Dr. Seuss catalog, and at that time, I had what I thought was a surefire winner, which was an action film of Green Eggs and Ham, which would have had uh, Danny DeVito as Sam I Am, and it would have had uh, uh, Bruce Willis as uh, the other guy. I don't know; if they ever name the one who doesn't like green eggs and ham but he's like hey no, you no. want to try some green eggs and ham no get down <laughs> you know and he's like always trying to protect Sam the retard with the green eggs and ham and the, the bad guys are always chasing him and finally in that like that heartfelt moment when they're, the chips are down and we're gonna die mm. why don't you just try some green eggs and ham fine I'll try the goddamn green eggs and ham see I think that might have been a better movie this is pretty good now I'm gonna shoot everybody and then they win yeah at one point,
2: I actually did finally record a uh, Seuss type thing, which is uh, Stone Temple Pilot sex type thing with the <laughs> words from Green Eggs and Ham. I am Sam, Sam, I yeah. am. Yeah, like some green eggs. You had and been threatening
0: that one yeah. for years, so it congratulations! Exists.
2: I finally did it. <laughs> oh.
0: But the thing with this one is, it, it, it's like basically it's his attempt to do Tim Burton, uh, but, in su- yeah. but in such a, a bald-faced way that it just—it's appalling on every level to me. And the, I think the, the the plot synopsis that I wrote for it, because I couldn't even do just the standard one. Uh, I just said, uh, the inexplicably grating live action version of the Dr. Seuss classic that was already done with Unsurpassed Panache as a classic cartoon by the master Chuck Jones. This movie is just loud, big, overbearing, and pointless. Fuck everyone involved with this turd. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's
0: how I feel you know, about that.
1: If that, were, if that had been a Tim Burton film, if Tim Burton had gotten that job, Tim Burton would have gone in and drawn... His own Grinch. He would have drawn his own stuff. It's like it, it would have been maybe the same story, but it would have looked Tim Burton. Michael Keaton right? is the Grinch. Yeah, yeah. And what, uh, but I mean, like the sets, the costume, the 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 makeup, oh, right, everything right. would have been his own thing. And Ron Howard yet again comes in and says, "Oh shit! Um, well, there's a book of this already, right? Okay, yeah, let's just do that." Boom. You know, they feature the sets from that movie on the Universal
2: Studios tour to this day. Like, you, like, oh, this is something you should care about. No, fuck. Ah, I get angry just looking at the sets.
1: <sighs> so, Universal um, doesn't have a whole lot to brag about. That's why they're trying to turn their, their, their <laughs> 80-year-old monster collection into the Marvel universe. Uh, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. So, yeah. So, through the course of all this, too,
2: I was sort of thinking... Um, and, like. Oh, wait. Uh, but before, before we leave the Grinch, there is a new animated Grinch movie in production. CG no. Grinch movie. There's no reason for that. It'll be Yeah, just just wanted uh. to hurt you with that
0: with that piece of knowledge. Uh, uh. Next to be telling me they're going to reboot
2: a Christmas story. Directed by Ron but Howard. They already <laughs> did that, right? Like they they made um they made a Christmas story sequel years later.
0: Yeah, but Randy Quaid sequels don't count.
2: <laughs>
1: oh man! The if the Japanese, okay if the Japanese made an anime reboot of the, the the Grinch story, I would I would pay for a ticket twice. Can you imagine how hot that would be? Oh, I should. Suck- oh, 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 oh. You know what they did make, and it just came out. This is a thing. Uh. Tom and Jerry
2: colon Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory.
1: Tom and Jerry will go on the journey of a lifetime. I'm Tuffy and Oompa Loompa. Your eyes on the chocolate room. There is no life.
2: I this is a thing, it just came out. It is, it is a cartoon there rendering there of the 60s free. Gene Wilder uh, Willy Wonka <laughs> <laughs> movie. Like, the, the characters are drawn like the actors from that. <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> it's a Tom and wow. Jerry cartoon. It is but, an abomination yeah. of all things.
0: But I think it'll be really cool, Rick. Uh,
2: fuck that shit, Morty. Wubba lubba dub.
0: <laughs> that's a little rick and uh, morty flavor so yeah that's just uh right. but but looking over his filmography and this is just the films um you know we haven't even touched on his uh his acting work uh or, yeah. or his television work, which i've got
1: no problem with honestly as an actor fine he did his job i yeah. you know no. Yeah, but uh, nothing, nothing to write home about. Not a great actor, but certainly, uh, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning that he was a, a child star who became a, a grown-up, you know, in Hollywood and who, yeah, who managed to, coke his mind well, out, who
0: managed to con everybody into believing that he was a prestige filmmaker. That's what I don't get. Yeah,
2: Uh because yeah. it's just the, <laughs> was like, the living embodiment of Archie Andrews <laughs> as an actor, or, or o- <clears throat> Opie Cunningham,
0: as uh, I still call him to this day.
2: <laughs> and yeah. what
0: was his name in Music Man? What was that kid's name? Uh,
1: oh, I can't remember. God, you think uh, Oh how the well fog go back in yeah. the dark. and down to Winth- Winthrop, Peru. Winthrop, that's right. Ooh. ah, oh, yeah. yeah. With the pole. Oh God. And <laughs> the Wikipedia. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right.
2: So, <laughs> Ron Howard. Uh, I think that has to be a thing now. Every one of our podcasts, somebody has to say, "Oh, you dick!" At some point. <laughs> well, it'll always be about Eric. So we might as well just make that ground rule now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you dick. So yeah. So yeah. So we've we've covered sort of his uh, his film output of the last forty years, and I think we can
1: all agree that he's uh, really yeah. just bland. Um, I think you really said it best when you said it was it a commitment to banality? He's aggressively banal. It's like aggressively banal. Yeah. That is exactly it. It's like I will do exactly whatever the hell you think I need to do yeah. in order to make a movie that you want to see. But now the audience is I think jaded enough that, you know, uh, we actually want to see something original, not this. Even even if it's not original, trick us into thinking it's original. Yeah. Marvel is great at that. You know, do something that doesn't look like what we know is something we've seen before. You look through his films and they're all someone else's film. Yeah. A, a, in a completely unapologetic way.
2: Yeah. Um, that so will <laughs> his Star Wars be um a Colin Trevorrow film? <laughs> or <laughs> no. no. I, I, I was
1: I, wondering that Trevorrow, too. Was it, I,
0: I think it's gonna be more in the the Irvin Kirshner mold, uh myself. Oh you wish. <laughs> I think he's gonna pull a JJ Abrams. <laughs> Oh who, who let's let's face it is almost the embodiment of the next gen Ron Howard uh, cuz he's another guy that's so ag- aggressive about uh doing things that everybody else has already done. Uh I would yeah. I would love to do a whole show on my love hate for JJ J. Abrams uh, cuz it's just his his movies are appalling uh in so many ways yet they're so <laughs> glossy and entertaining uh, on some basic level. Uh, that it just it baffles my my whole being anytime I see one and I kind of find myself sitting there watching and then realizing what the hell I'm doing.
2: No, okay, so here I will put money down on this. When this is all said and done, this will be his Richard Marquand move.
0: <laughs> That's who I was thinking of. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs>
2: I was trying to pull the Jedi and I went
0: I went Empire. Fuck. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> Kershner was on my mind because uh, <laughs> RoboCop 2 has been on as well, uh, and I always forget that the guy that did Empire Strikes Back, the sequel uh, to a, a breakout sci-fi thing, also did RoboCop 2 which is a, a sequel to breakout.
1: <laughs> you know, I I my one regret is we're not going to live long enough to see the biopic they do of JJ J. Abrams that's going to be <laughs> it's going to be like the way Steve McQueen was always pissed off that he 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 didn't have the same regard as Paul Newman, you know? Yeah. That 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 years long thing. And there's going to be a film though of J.J. Abrams waking up every day and looking at that picture of Joss Whedon and going, "I'm going to get you one day. I'm going to get
0: you." <laughs> yeah, and then he'll pull uh, the the frozen corpse of Spielberg out of the freezer in the basement and suck off a little life force. <laughs> 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 um, but the thing, uh... the, the one thing I wanted to to, to just throw out there, uh, just and, and maybe we can just end it on that. Uh, Or we can see where it goes. Um, I was trying to think of questions related to this, but honestly, it's just, what's the fucking point? Uh, But the only one I could write down, and I thought it would be kind of uh, tantalizing, uh, to ask each of you uh, what you consider to be Ron Howard's best movie. Hmm.
2: Okay, i got to think on this. Yeah, see,
0: it's a tough one, isn't it?
2: Okay, I have an answer. Did you ring in? Apollo 13. That was what I was going to say, too. Yeah, I did. That's his most, that's his most I assured... Didn't, I didn't hear any of that. Good. Then what was your answer without that, that context? Yeah, Eric. Google faster, Eric. Come on. Uh, I've, been
1: drop, I've been dropping the phone.
2: I haven't heard anything he <laughs> just said. No. What so it, the, question, the question is, what, is your, what do you think Ron Howard's best film was? Ed TV. Oh, fuck
1: you. <laughs> No way! <laughs> that's what I. That's the one we forgot. God, how did I forget that one? He, that's why I said it. That he, was Truman Show.
0: he, yeah, he made that. Uh, that came out yeah. a year after the fucking Truman Show. How did that happen? That's not even like the year that they made two <laughs> volcano movies. I mean, there was like a year gap. Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah, and once again, that was all cast. I, I, Woody Harrelson and uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey work together. You know, a, a, a True detective, eh, it's not that great a show, but it's worth watching for the two of them. Uh, Ed TV is worth watching because of the two of them. Otherwise, it's forgettable. Uh,
0: well, I don't like Jenna Elfman at all, so I'm just going to avoid it there i said it
1: no yeah don't don't bother watch watch true detective and and watch (laughs) if nothing else watch the episode of true detective where they do a single cut of them uh running into a crack den having a shootout mugging a guy dragging him away it's like 10 minutes one shot it's fucking amazing (laughs) Uh, oh wait we're talking about ron howard yeah nothing good about that so
0: it's like the director's cut (laughs) of ed tv basically (laughs) <laughs>
1: like anything, yes! anything interesting yes. that could have happened, Ron Howard just
0: excised in the editing suite because fuck it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. I so think like that's
1: fair. This isn't the kind of movie I wanted to make. <laughs> this isn't what I wanted to make. No, I I, I wanted an uplifting <laughs> story, and you guys are crazy. You're doing drugs and you're shooting people. No,
0: well it strikes us like Ron Howard just you know. Well, I kind of wanted to make it edgy, and then people are like, oh, Ron, and patting him on the head. <laughs> You don't need to do that. Here's $50 million. Go make some turd
2: that no one's going to remember in 10 years.
0: Okay.
1: And
2: take off that stupid ass hat. (laughs) Now I've got a mental image of Ron Howard on the set of Han Solo with a shirt that says, Han never fired. Uh. (laughs) Ah.
1: Winner. Winner. Okay, winner. Yes.
0: <sighs> hey, listener. There you have it. Another episode in the can. Ron Howard, the aggressive banality of American cinema. Here at magnificently huge episode 400 and blah, 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 whatever I said. Uh, yeah. So uh, we had fun, laughed, cried. It was part of us. When Eric said the one thing. Oh man and Brian said something else that was good uh you probably didn't even pay attention to what I was saying and I am not blame you uh but the three of us together oh man that's some good stuff uh it's just uh fireworks I tell you what uh lively discussions to be had uh again in the future uh on all things pop culture related uh so yeah join us again the uh or send us your emails Huge at gmail.com uh Send us your thoughts, your comments, your uh, recipes, weird uh, diagrams of 50s-era Soviet warplanes. Uh, just no dick pics. We just, that's where we draw the line. Uh, it's it's a, a low bar, granted, but that's how we do things here at Magnificent Huge. So, uh, yeah, thanks for stopping by. Join us again next time. Cheers.